Please rise. We're going to start our morning out by singing a song we did last week called I'm a Friend of God. people like me, people I haven't been to church in a while, 
who think they might be criticized or analyzed or think they might be judged unfairly. People who don't have God in their lives and don't know really exactly how sure how to get them back. But I need you to do something for me. Something that may seem like a very big deal to you. You'll see me in town this week. You'll see me at work. You'll see me. I need you not to walk past me. I need you to work through your fear. Because believe me, I'm working through mine too. I need you to invite me in. And even if I act like I'm not interested in going to church with you, I need you to ask me to come. I need you to invite me in. Help me see God. Hmm. I only really know what that means. I need you now. Because at the end of the day, God said He loved me enough to die for me. And if He did, and He didn't stay dead, I need you to invite me in. Nothing complicated, nothing driven by guilt. Just invite me. I need you to. would like to uh, welcome you this morning on Palm Sunday, and uh, next Sunday's Easter, so we've got a week to invite some folks. So please, uh, please do that. Now, this, yeah, Gary said there's these little cards. Uh, you can mail this to somebody, or you can hand it to somebody, and uh, these are up at the front, and there's probably some at the back, too. Right now, if you're our guest, we'd like for you to do us a favor. Um, we're going to ask you to remain seated for just a moment. Uh, we're going to uh, stand up, and we're going to greet each other. Welcome, and thank you for joining us in worship today at First Baptist of Tifton, Georgia. My name is Dan Richardson, and it's my pleasure to welcome you today. All right, as you're watching through our television ministry, we hope that you consider becoming a part of the worship service through singing and also opening your Bible as our pastor takes us through Bible study and through God's Word. We have counselors standing by for any need that you might have, and we encourage you to call us at 382-6063. We also invite you to join us on our website, which is www.fbctifton.org. You can go on our website and find many of the activities and ways that we at First Baptist Church of Tifton are reaching out to the surrounding community and showing God's love to others. Our goal here through this TV ministry today is to show God's love and God's word to you and God's message that of coming to a lost and dying world. Again, we thank you for joining us in worship. And if you have a prayer need or any need that we can help you with, please call us at 382-6063. Thank you and have a good day. And everyone's heard that story in Chick-fil-A. Um, and just simply, guys, we're going to have a free concert in Tifton, Georgia. And then from there to spending time in prayer to uh, that night about 3 in the morning, um, road less travel, promote human development through Christ, and create a board for accountability. So that got put together, and we had our first event with New Song. Uh, tremendous turnout. Uh, then from there, we did some follow-up events. Um, our next event, we had Michael W. Smith last year. That was really unique. Uh, the thing, you know, with the New Song event, there were, you know, 200 and some odd people that came down and accepted Christ or either rededicated their life. And uh, that was really, really awesome. And it's really amazing at what's really happening in our community. We're really excited about what's to come with this. You know, uh, Jeremy Camp, Francesca Battistelli, and Adam Kappa.
they are great artists, but what means more than just a great artist is their heart. And uh, I, I had an opportunity this past weekend to go and meet Jeremy Camp. And I, you know, and I told Jeremy, I said, Jeremy, when we were booking this concert, my question to those guys were, look, we don't, we're, this, we're not just about a concert. Um, our passion is to worship. And we want somebody that's going to come that just truly enjoys worship. And I know there's a lot of artists that do enjoy worship. And I, and I asked them, I said, who is, who's someone that you would recommend? I said, because, you know, I know a lot of these artists that I listen to, and, and they said, Jeremy Camp. And, and I told Jeremy that, and, and he got really emotional, you know, when I was talking with him about that because it, it blessed his heart to hear that. And, and, you know, after, I've never seen him in concert, but after watching him in concert and, and watching him, it, it wasn't to perform. It wasn't to put on a show. He was truly led by the Holy Spirit during the whole event as to when to pick up his Bible and start sharing, when to totally stop and, 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 and talk. And, uh, you know, he, he, he gave an altar call there at the end of the event and had everyone grab hands and just, you know, come together as one. And, and you know, that was really, really neat to, uh, to see that. But, you know, I'm excited about, about we're, we're all excited about the event, and it has been a, a tremendous um, task. It's a lot. It really is. It, it, you know, it, it, takes, um, it takes, you know, a lot of ushers to make the event go on, John. It takes uh, counselors. This year, last year, we had around 400 counselors, and we need counselors uh, because there will come a time Jeremy's going to give the invitation. And, and you know, our prayer, I, I don't want to put a number on it, and I don't want to get caught up in a number because I'm going to tell you something. When a family comes together, through worshiping Jesus Christ for the first time, that's strong. There's power in that. When a mother and a father were on the brink of destruction in their marriage and they don't go there, there's power in that. When you see a little kid, and I got chills, man, wow. When you see a little kid and their mamas and their daddies worshiping, wow, man, that's what it's about. When you, see a, when you see a kid that was caught up in drugs or alcohol or even an adult and they have an experience and they turn from those wicked ways, there's power in that. It's not just about a concert. I mean, and, and there's so many different things that, that, man, wow, it's amazing. So, I mean, you know, our community support is huge. You know, it takes um, the, biggest, the biggest thing about all of this John, and I've said it since the day one, and I'll say it to the end, and that's prayer. If we go to the Lord every day, because the more of us that are coming to Him, I know it's a blessing in His eyes. If we come to Him every day and pray for this event, Lord, have Your way. Because our prayer is, Lord, our prayer is for someone to experience His glory in a way that they never have. It's coming. The We Cry Out Tour with Jeremy Camp, live in concert, featuring reigning GMA Artist of the Year, Francesca Bottastelli, and special guest, Adam Kappa. April 21st, Roadie Field, 7.30 in Tipton, Georgia. For more info, go to roadlesstraveledministries.com. Y'all stand with us. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. All your ways are good.
Sunday is the day that we call Palm Sunday. It's the day that uh, Jesus chose to come into Jerusalem. And as he was coming to Jerusalem, the folks gathered around. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Literally, literally that word means save us. Save us. It was crying out for a Savior. And, you know, we do have that need to cry out for a Savior day after day after day. He came to die for us. And that's what this next song is about. The next two songs that we're going to share with you are about our Savior. He came, died for us, gave himself so that we might have life. Jesus Messiah 
Let us pray. Father, uh, thank you for this time of worship. Lord, uh, thank you for the talents you give us and uh, playing music and going throughout work. Lord, at this time of the service, um, we bring to you our our tithes. And Lord, just uh, bless our talents in many other ways so we can uh, bring more tithes to you and uh, glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thanks, guys. You know, these guys are volunteers, and they come up here and rehearse during the week and then are up here offering their talents um, Sunday after Sunday. And we're just so indebted to them and to allowing God to use their, the gifts that he's entrusted to them to be, to be vessels of his in worship. And we just appreciate it so much, the time you invest in worship. Oh, good. Well, this is Palm Sunday. And uh, believe it or not, we're in the book of Haggai this morning, and Palm Sunday is relevant. Palm Sunday actually comes through in the book of Haggai, so be patient with me. Uh, the book of Haggai is basically directed at Jews who had gotten discouraged at rebuilding the temple. So the, the title of the sermon is When Discouragement Comes Knocking, and what Haggai says to them in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, is a message of encouragement to help them get back on track, to help them finish the task that God has called them to do. And I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if, if you feel like God's calling you to do something, or, or maybe you were once walking closely to him, and, and you've allowed the world to seep in and distract you. This message to you today is to get back on track and finish the task that God has given to you. Haggai 2, 1 through 9. Uh, chapter 1 deals with the discouragement. Chapter 2, Haggai tells them the answer to discouragement. In the second year of Darius the king, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Verse 3, who was left among you that saw this house in its former glory? Talking about the temple. How do you see it now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the promise that I made you when I came out of Egypt... My spirit abides among you, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once again in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. He's talking about rebuilding the temple. You might want to get your Bibles out and, and uh, go ahead and open up to Haggai. It'll probably take you about 15 minutes to find it. It's only two chapters long. And it's almost at the end of the Old Testament. We've only got two more books in the Old Testament, Zechariah and Malachi. So we're getting close. But these prophets toward the end of the Old Testament are so important in reminding us what to do when discouragement comes knocking. Let's pray together. Father, speak to us today. So many of us are, are facing discouragement. It has come to the, our door, it's at the threshold, and, and what we once put our hands to and felt a strong passion and desire for has kind of faded over time. And we need your spirit within us to empower us. We need to be assured of your presence once more and to know that the best is, is still yet ahead. Knowing that you're going to work a great work and you're going to accomplish many things in our lives. So help us be faithful where we are. Help us to, to finish the task. Wherever you place us, whatever you call us to do, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give you a little historical background as we launch into the book of Haggai. Back in 586 B.C., the Babylonian army marched into Jerusalem and destroyed it. They destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah. You remember Israel had divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Well, in the southern kingdom, the Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. And you've got to understand what this meant to the Jews because the temple to the Jews was the place where God dwelt. 
And as long as the city of Jerusalem was intact, and as long as the temple was secure, the Jewish people knew that God was with them, that nothing could prevail against them. So what, what do you think went through their mind when the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem and, and took down the temple and leveled it? They were devastated. They were destroyed emotionally and spiritually because they thought something had happened that could never, never happen. Well, they're carried off into captivity. The leaders of the, and the rulers of the Jewish people were carried off into captivity in Babylon. About 50 years later, 536, the Persians defeat the Babylonians. And King Cyrus is, uh, is, is now ruler over that area. And King Cyrus decides to let the Jews return to Jerusalem. He issues an edict that even allows them to rebuild the temple. Well, they come in, they start rebuilding the temple, they lay the foundation, and after a few months of building, they get discouraged. So Haggai the prophet shows up, and he's probably a young man, he's probably very passionate. Uh, He has about six prophecies in these two chapters, and it's interesting that each prophecy has a very specific time frame attached to it. In verse 1 of chapter 1, in the second year of Darius king, the sixth month, Verse one of chapter two, in the second year of Darius the king, the seventh month. So, you know, six months have elapsed. Uh, On verse 10 of chapter two, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius. So it's all within a framework of about a year or two, just a few months apart. Haggai has these six prophecies that the Lord has given him to, to proclaim to the Jews who have been allowed to return home, started rebuilding the temple but gave up. Why did they get discouraged? Because I think the reasons that discourage them are like the same things that discourage us and how Haggai encourages them in the Lord are similar to the things that God can encourage us in the Lord. Reasons for discouragement in your outline. I have, whoops, I have three or four. with scripture references to go along with them. It is so easy to get discouraged and disappointed, isn't it? It's so easy to allow what you want to do to get sidetracked, especially if it takes a long time, especially if it's hard. Um, It's just so easy to hear negativity. Um, We go visiting every Tuesday night. And Tuesday, when we come back from visiting, we have what we call celebration time. And celebration is where we share our visits and, and we celebrate and we praise, we praise God and thank him for what, is, what had occurred that night. Well, about two weeks ago, John Woodruff came in. He said, I'm so discouraged. He said, I don't think I want to go visiting anymore. And I said, John, what happened? Tell me about it. He said, well, I knocked on these, this door of these people and he said, someone looked out the window and saw me. And I waved at her. And, and then he said, I heard a voice in the back and said, he said, I heard a voice say, what is it? And he heard the young woman say, I don't know. Some old man's at the door. John said, that kind of hurt my feelings. <laughs> um, it's just so easy to get discouraged. I heard someone say it takes 10 positive comments to balance out one negative comment. We are so fragile in our nature we are so prone to hear the negative and forget the positive. Sometimes I think about it's like standing in a chair and it's so much easier for someone to pull you down out of the chair than to pull you up in it. It's so much easier. And that's why we hear negative comments so much and we believe them. Well, the Jews are here in in Babylon where they've been in exile for 50 years Almost all of a generation has passed. And Cyrus and the Persians conquer Babylon. He issues an edict allowing the Jews to return home and to rebuild the temple. Can you imagine the excitement the Jewish people felt when they heard that they could go back home? You don't, you don't have any idea how much the homeland of Jews, the Jews meant to them. 
that land, the promised land has always been precious to them. It always has been, always will be. That's why you see them fighting over the land so much in the Middle East today. It is, it's, 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 a, it's an inheritance from the Lord as the Jews see it. And it means everything to them. So when they're in Babylon and they hear that they can finally go back home and rebuild the temple, they must be so excited. I don't know if you've ever been overseas, but I remember coming back into America after being anywhere in the world and realizing how wonderful the United States of America is. When you go through customs and you look up and see the banner that says, welcome to the United States of America. Have you done that before? And just kind of get chills, go through your your back and your spine. I, I wanted to get down on my hands and knees and just kiss the ground once again. After Because when you're anywhere else, you w- realize what a great nation we live in and what a blessing it is to come home to. It must have felt something like that for the Jews to finally get to come home after being in exile for 50 years. Well, they come home and Ezra, the book of Ezra has them start the temple and they start rebuilding the temple. But over a short period of time, opposition begins to set in, apathy begins to take over and they'd lay down their tools and go home. Haggai shows up and he says, you can't do that. And they say, yeah, we can. (laughs) We can't compete. First of all, the reason they got discouraged is it says we can't compete with the former temple. Chapter two, verse three, Haggai says, who was left among you that saw in this house, saw this house in its former glory. He's talking about the temple of Solomon, the temple that the Babylonians had destroyed. Who who was left that saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? In other words, those of you who have been alive for longer than 50 years, who were alive through the captivity, you remember what the former temple looked like. You remembered how great it was. And this, this present temple that you're building, does it not seem to you as nothing? And they say, yes, that's why we quit. It seems like nothing to us. Well, you got to realize the temple of Solomon in its day was one of the great wonders of the world. It was built with imported cedars from Lebanon. It was encrusted with precious stones and jewels. And then over most of the holy places was um, an overlay of of gold leaf. It was was phenomenal. It was impressive. And uh, the people who were rebuilding the temple, you know, kind of put their tools down. They stepped back and said... There's no way we can compete with the former temple. There's no way that we can ever rebuild what was once here. And aren't we like that a lot? A lot of times I hear people say, I wish we could get back to the good old days. You remember the good old days? Um, I think if we're realistic about that, the good old days, parts of it were good. Parts of it weren't that good. But somehow, the further we get from an age, the the more grand and glorious the past seems. It's that way with us as a nation. It's that way with us as a church. I remember churches. I, I grew up in the baby boom, the 50s and 60s, and all churches were bursting at the scene in the nursery. And in this church, I think there were Sunday school classes in every nook and cranny, anywhere you could find this this. Uh, demographics of baby boomers were coming through. And and those were the glory days for many churches, the golden days. And we look back on that and we think that's wonderful. Maybe in our own lives as individuals, we look back on former days and we remember what it was like when we were saved. We remember what it was like when we rededicated our life. We remember what it was like when we decided that we were going to to take this relationship with God to the next level and really get serious and really spend time with him in Bible study. And, and we remember that passion and that desire to be in a relationship with him. And we look back on it and we think, gosh, it's, it's faded from that. Why, you know, how have I let time pass and just kind of cool my enthusiasm and my passion? That's the way it was for the Jews who look back and their former temple and realized the one they were building would be compared as nothing to what they had. And it discouraged them. The second thing that discouraged them was opposition. Opposition from within and from without. 
There were Samaritans in the land, and the Samaritans, you remember who the Samaritans were? They were descendants of the Jews in the northern kingdom who stayed behind when they were conquered. And the Assyrians that conquered the northern kingdom came in and intermarried with the Jews, brought their religions in with them, and also built temples in the northern kingdom. So the the Jewish people saw the Samaritans as being... um, you know, kind of a divided race. The Samaritans had come in, Assyrians, and, and married, intermarried with the Jews. So the Samaritans, when they came to offer to help the Jews rebuild the temple, the Jews said, no thanks. It made the Samaritans angry, and then from that point on, they began to try to thwart every effort the Jews made to rebuild the temple. So they had opposition all around them, not just those who were former Jews, but also folks from the outside who didn't want the temple rebuilt. Also, there was a change in priorities that occurred over time that kind of discouraged them. Listen to this. I'm going to read from chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then verse four, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? You see what happened? The people say, yes, we will rebuild the temple, but not now. This isn't the best time. This isn't the right time. And so what did they do? Instead, they pursued the accumulation of possessions, basically. Instead of rebuilding the temple, They decided it was more important to live in paneled houses, to accumulate all they could, to to surround themselves with wealth while the temple of the Lord lay in ruins. And that's what Haggai's prophecy is all about. How can you dwell in such fine places and allow God's house to lie here in ruins? How can you do that? There was a change in priorities that occurred. We're no longer concerned about the priority of God. We have placed him down to third or fourth on our list. And number one on our list of priorities is the accumulation of wealth for ourselves. Finally, what what would God say to all of this? We can't compete with the former glory. Opposition is around us, the Samaritans, the peoples from other nations that are opposing us. The fact that the people have, have turned their money from the house of the Lord to themselves What does God say? Chapter one, verse seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may appear in my glory, says the Lord. In other words, God says, despite all this opposition, despite all of your uh, discouragement, despite the fact that you can never rebuild it as great and grand as it used to be, You go out and you get all the resources you need and you build it and you finish it. That's what God says. Don't start something and then quit. You know, I read that this week, actually yesterday, and I got to wondering if Jesus might have had that in mind when he told this parable from Luke 14, verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, as they had with the temple, and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. I wonder if Jesus had this story of rebuilding the temple in mind when he told that parable. Well, Haggai comes along and he says, look, I know you're discouraged. I know you cannot compete with a former glory. I know there's opposition. I know that you have changed your priorities from rebuilding the temple to rebuilding your own houses. Haggai comes along and says, I've got some causes for encouragement for you. And this passage, verses one through nine of chapter two, keeps you going, I think, even when discouragement comes knocking. The first thing that Haggai says in verse four, yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, who was the the governor. 
says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, and look at this, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Why does, why does God say that? He says about 18 times in the Bible, God says, I am with you. Why, why does he say that? We know God's with us all the time. But why in particular moments does he emphasize the fact that he's with us? Well, if you'll notice, every time God tells somebody he's with them, it's, it's a time when they're facing a crisis in their life or a juncture or an important decision. And God comes and he says, I'm with you. What does that mean? He says, I'm behind you in this. I'm going to walk along beside you. I am supporting you in this. It's going to be okay. I realize that that what you face is difficult, but lo, I'm with you always, Jesus said. Even to the end of the age, right after he gave us the great commission, it means that God's going to accompany us in our mission. And he's going to support us. And he's going to be behind us. The second thing is verse 5. According to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you. Fear not. This is one of those rare passages in the Old Testament where the spirit of God is mentioned. Not very often. But here, the Holy Spirit is mentioned meaning the presence of God. And he goes back to the time when he led them out of Egypt and back to the relationship, remember the covenant relationship that God had with Israel. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. You'll keep my commandments. You'll be faithful to the covenant. I'll be your God. I'll wage your battles for you. If anybody touches you, oh Israel, they're touching me. If anyone opposes you, they're opposing me. He says, I'm sending my spirit to be with you. And finally, verse nine, the latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. What in the world does that mean? How can this present temple be greater than the former temple? We know that can't be true physically, Because I I described to you what the temple of Solomon was like. But what God is saying is that this temple is going to be greater. It's It's going to eclipse Solomon's temple, not in physical beauty, but in the fact that in one day, about 500 years later, the Son of God on Palm Sunday is going to ride into Jerusalem and he's going to enter in to this temple. And it doesn't matter how physically beautiful Solomon's temple might have been in its day. It could never compete with the glory of the temple that had the Son of God enter in. So the the new temple was going to exceed the former temple in its glory. And so Haggai says, be encouraged. David Brainerd was a missionary to the American Indians, Native Americans in the 1700s, early, early on in mission work. And he labored for years, but his work was difficult because the American Indians couldn't believe much of the white man of what he had said because they had been lied to and mistreated so much. So when David Brainerd preached about the love and mercy and forgiveness of God, it was to an audience that found it difficult to believe. And so Brainerd got discouraged. About two years, he saw nothing. But about a year later, Indians began to profess their faith in Jesus. And about after a year and a half later, three and a half years into his work, 150 American Indians came to faith in Jesus Christ. David Brainerd died a year later at the age of 29. But all through that process, David Brainerd kept a diary. He kept a journal, talked about his discouragement 
One, one, one place he said, my heart sank. It seemed that I'd never have any success among the Indians. My soul is weary of my life. I long for death. He said those kinds of things. But somebody took that journal and they published it. And it became known as David Brainer's Diary. And it is a classic among Christian devotions today. We even studied it and read it in the seminary. And what's so important about that diary is that a young man by the name of William Carey read it. And William Carey eventually became the father of the modern missionary movement. And someone asked William Carey one day, what motivated you? What inspired you to do missions? And he pointed to David Brainerd's diary. And he said, I I saw someone like this who labored so hard and so faithfully and saw such little fruit and faced such discouragement. And yet God was able to work through him and accomplish great things. The message to you today is don't ever give up. That's what Haggai was telling the Jews. Don't ever give up. And the three reasons Haggai gave was because God is with you. The Holy Spirit will empower you. And the best is yet to come. Paul put it like this in Romans Romans 8, 18. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever you're facing, God's with you. The Holy Spirit will empower you. The best is yet to come. Shall we pray? Father, it's so easy once we are called on a task or called to mission to let Satan seep in and and just water down that calling There's so many poisonous darts that he can throw at us that can do us harm. He can tell us that that we can never compete with with other missionaries, with what other churches are doing, with what um, other folks are doing who who are going out and serving you, that we just aren't worth anything. He can tell us that that it's going to be difficult, that it's going to be opposition, and we'll see that opposition. And it will it'll pull us down so easily. He can change our priorities. So what we once started out with such enthusiasm for you can we can get distracted by other things of this world. And to all these causes for discouragement, God, you come and say, Wait a minute, if I've called you, I'm going to be with you. And I've sent my Holy Spirit to empower you. And I don't consider the sufferings of this present age to be worthy to be compared to the glory of the world to come. So the best is yet to come. God, help us be faithful to whatever you've called us to do. To pick up our cross and follow, to put our hands to the plow and finish the, finish the row. Whatever it is. We want to follow through and be faithful to the end until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to open the doors of fellowship. If you have a decision to make this morning, I'll be at the front. You come forward and share that publicly. If you aren't